Good morning, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a Vision for You Big Book Study. My name is Rebecca S., and I am a recovered compulsive overeater from Connecticut. Today is Tuesday, January 22nd, 2019, and this is our 7 a.m. Eastern Time meeting. Today we are reading from the big book, and we are in the doctor's opinion on page Roman numeral XXX, the sixth paragraph which begins with, this immediately precipitates us into. We will be reading and commenting on three paragraphs, ending with, with no return to alcohol on the following page, XXXI. Today's readers are Vinnie T., Elaine H., Larry K., and Sally P., The share ID for yesterday, share ID numbers for yesterday, Monday, January 21st, 2019's meetings are 12442, that's 12442 for 7 a.m. Eastern Time, and 12443, that's 12443 for 10 a.m. Eastern Time. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who, through shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and compulsive food behaviors and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose, OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now ask Vinnie T. to read the 12 steps of OA. Can I be heard? Yes, good morning, Vinnie. Thank you, Vinnie T., Recovered Compulsive Overeater. The 12 steps. One, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made the decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. 10. Continued to take personal inventory, and when we were wronged, promptly admitted it. 11. Sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, 
praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. Twelve, having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Thank you. I pass. Thank you, Benny T. I will now ask Elaine H. to read the 12 traditions of OA. Good morning. This is Elaine H. from Dallas. The 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends on OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority. Our loving God, as he may express himself in our group conscience, our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose to carry the message sorry, uh, to carry the message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, less pro- and most problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, over years anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion or outside issues. Hence, the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. Eleven, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. And twelve, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thank you. Thank you, Elaine H. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then we stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing, and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star one to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass, then press star 1 to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone, except the speakers, should be muted. Today we resume our study of the big book in the doctor's opinion on page Roman numeral XXX, the sixth paragraph, which begins with, this immediately precipitates us into. What what was the Roman numeral again? Can you say that again? XXX. We will be reading and commenting on paragraphs. I'm used to typing that in. I'd appreciate it if you'd mute your phone so that we could have a quiet meeting where everyone can benefit instead of um, any outbursts. Thank you. Uh, 
we'll be reading through three paragraphs ending with no return to alcohol. I will now ask Larry Kay to go ahead and read that for us. Good morning, Rebecca. Good morning. Thank you for your service. Appreciate this. Larry Kay recovered. Good morning. This immediately precipitates um, us into into a um, seething cauldron of debate. Much has been written pro and con, but among physicians, the general opinion seems to be that most chronic alcoholics are doomed. What is the solution? Perhaps I can best answer this by relating one of my experiences. About one year prior to this experience, a man was brought in to be treated for chronic alcoholism. He had been partially recovered from a gastric hemorrhage and seemed to be a case of pathological mental deterioration. He had lost everything worthwhile in life and was only living, one might say, to drink. He frankly admitted and believed that for him there was no hope. Following the elimination of alcohol, there was found to be no permanent brain injury. He accepted the plan outlined in this book. One year later, he called to see me, and I experienced a very strange sensation. I knew the man by name and and partly recognized his features, but there all resemblance ended. From a trembling, despairing, nervous wreck had emerged a man brimming over with self-reliance and contentment. I talked with him for some time, but I was not able to bring myself to feel that I had known him before. To me, he was a stranger, and so he left me. A long time has passed with no return to alcohol. Well, again, um, Larry Cave uh, from Chicago recovered. So among other things, what we learn here is that um, among physicians, uh, the general opinion is that most people like us are trapped. You know, there's, there's no conceivable way out. We are doomed. And to be doomed is to be subject uh, to an inescapable outcome. You know, this craving beyond my mental control, it's like a, like a tsunami. You know, there's no, there's no controlling the tidal wave of surging water, right? It destroys everything in its path. It's a power greater than me. And I tried many ways, despite that, to end my, end, you know, this food hell that I was in, and all to no avail. And with this program, which is spiritual in nature, it was basically suggested that I plant kind of a mustard seed, and and let God's strength grow within me through the working of these steps. And just like the man we read about, I decided to accept this premise that I cannot beat this problem. I will not be able to stop the tsunami. I have no control over it. It's bigger than I am. And if I could have done it by myself, I would have done it by now. So I accepted the plan outlined in this book. And freedom would come from complete surrender. And I, I, I had a choice. I either wave the white flag or option number two, I can continue to carry my gun and my knife into the, onto the hopeless battlefield. And I did for a time. Maybe you did too. It was my choice to, to, you know, to armor up every day. See, the freedom lies in accepting that which frightens us most because I was frightened. I was frightened that I was powerless to stop this problem, to fight it or to fix it. And my compulsion to eat excessively is stronger than than I was. And I, I, I became tired of this war, this internal war that I fought against. I was fighting against myself 
and part of me would rather die than go on. And maybe it's time for me to surrender to the struggle. And it didn't feel very good. It made me a little bit nervous. Yeah, you know, it's like it's like what surrender? Are you crazy? How can I give up? If I give up, I'm a, you know I'll I'll become truly obese, and I might even die. I'll be out of control entirely. And yet I had to own up to the fact, like this man, that aren't we out of control now? I mean, exactly what part of me was guiding me to keep up the fight? This voice that seems to be speaking to me with such concern and wisdom, was that voice effective at solving the problem? And in fact, it hadn't been. And it was time to fire that that guide. So my healing in this area lies not in resisting the truth of my powerlessness, I, I was, but in, 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 in rather in accepting it and even embracing it. For this you know, led me straight into the arms of God, straight into the arms of my higher power. How, what, however I thought about him or his non-existence or whatever, I accepted that the problem was bigger than me. And wrapping up, Rebecca, you know, um, I don't ever want to forget that while my inner wound is more powerful than my conscious mind, God was more powerful than my wound. And in realizing that power of my mortal self is small when compared to the power of God, I, I would no longer need to puff myself up anymore. And it, it was only when I allowed God to be bigger than that that I began to allow myself to become physically right-sized. It was all in the humility and the surrender, giving up the struggle. With that, I pass. Thanks. Thank you for getting us going, Larry Kay. Who would like to share on these three paragraphs? Kim G. Rosemary J. Kim G. And Marie Barbara. Day. Barbara E. Barbara E. Anne Marie. Anne Marie. Craig F. Anne Marie and Craig F. Roz G. And Roz G. I think there were some early on that I clamored in at the same time. Here's one, Harlan G. Okay, um, Kim G, Marie J, Barbara E, Anne Marie, Craig F, Roz G, and Harlan G. Kim G, please go ahead. Good morning, Rebecca. Good morning, everyone. My name is Kim G. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from South Jersey. And I love that line, a seething cauldron of debate and immediately precipitates so, you know, if you look back at the history, you know, in the 1930s, there was something called the temperance societies. And what they looked at is they said the problem isn't that these guys drink. The problem is they get drunk. So what we need to do is to teach them to drink responsibly. You know, we talked about this allergy of the body, the mental twist that makes us a distinct entity, a part of a 10% of the population that drinks. That's what they're talking about here. They're trying, they're thinking, well, if it works for the 90% to moderately drink, then it should work for everybody. So I've got a spoiler alert for everybody. Diets do work if you're a part of that 90%. If you decrease your calories, you increase your exercise, you're going to lose weight. But what is, is sad to me is that rehabs that are, I feel are there to treat the 10%, they often try to employ ways uh, a temperance society idea into the rehab. You know, I, I hear these terms called, well, we're going to practice mindful eating, intuitive eating, yet as being part of that 10%, I can't differentiate the true from the false, and my alcoholic life is the only normal one. 
I mean, with the best of intentions, they're bariatric surgery. They're trying to cut our stomachs so that we cannot eat anymore, not understanding the physical allergy and the mental twist. You know, the problem isn't that we eat. The problem is we overeat. So they'll get people stable in rehab and then introduce dessert night or try to teach us to eat moderately. That's exactly against what this big book is telling us. You know, I, I heard this, this thing the other day, um, on a, and I was talking to a sponsor last night, and I thought of an example. They talked about this spiritual practice, and they were saying, it, the problem isn't that it's difficult, but that it's different. And I believe that's true with, with, with uh, compulsive overeating. It is, you know, I can't put the food down. I can't work the steps. A lot of times it's not that it's difficult, but that it's different. So I, I thought of this analogy as I was working with a sponsee is, you know, why don't you guys today, those who are, think they can't put the food down, these steps are too difficult, try to write with your non-dominant hand. Here's, it's so easy to write with your dominant hand, and it's awkward. It's different. But it's possible to do that. And that's what this 12-step program is asking us. And the final thing I want to say as I hear this heckler coming in to the meeting to me, this is just a beautiful example of why I need to have the food down. Because although we're hearing these messages on the meeting, when that heckler is going, it's hard to hear what's being said. The same way that if I am still eating and I'm trying to do these steps, I can't hear through the disease in order to apply the steps. And with that, I pass. Thanks, Kim G. Marie J. Hi, can you hear me? Yes, good morning, Marie. Good morning. This is Marie J. I'm recovered in Colorado, and uh, I love this line from a trembling, despairing, nervous wreck that emerged a man brimming over with self-confidence and or self-reliance and contentment. And I, uh, you know, when I came into this program, I was broken and I was terrified. I was really hopeless, and I didn't even know it. I didn't even know it until I got abstinent and all my emotions rose to the surface and I realized that what, what I was uh, medicating, you know, just covering up these emotions and, and trying to numb out. And came a time when my sponsor said, you know, you need to start making outreach calls and you need to start talking on the lines and things like that. And I was still so terrified and I made her write a script with me of how to do an outreach call. Okay, what are they going to sell? What am I going to say? How do I ask the questions? And I know we all go through that fear of, of just being out there and being exposed. And I am, I am changed because my fears were all focused on self and on perfection, and on what you would think of me, you know, getting my self-worth only from your good opinion of me. And that's no way to live free. So today, with this program, my self-confidence and, and all, this, all this that comes from being this changed person comes straight from the power that's not me. And I can now open up vulnerably, and I can be of service, and I can get on the lines. And you know, it's even gone so far as going from the terror of speaking to one person individually on a phone call to being able to actually serve by giving a special edition. And that to me is just gigantic because I feel a little bit shy and nervous and scared in general if I'm in my own self 
reliance and in my own self-will. But when I open up and let the power be in charge, then I'm an entirely unrecognizable person. You know, I'm different than I was before because I'm asking and receiving courage to be of service, to do this, this work and pass it along. And I just keep stepping up. I just keep showing up and trying to be helpful to someone who's still suffering. So I'm so grateful to be changed in this way and to continue to ask for further ways to be changed and work and act according to God's will. And then all this, all this comes up in me that I don't have to be something special. I can just show up and be who I am and continue to recover and continue to help others to recover. And I'm so grateful for that. Thanks for letting me share. Thank you. Thank you, Marie J. Barbara E. Thank you so much. May I be heard? I'm not really sure yes. that I'm on. Good morning, oh, Barbara. Great. Okay, thank you. Well, first of all, thank you for your service and to Larry for starting us off and to Kim for clearing up and making me see our heckler through new eyes. And this is not new to me, of course. Nothing I say is ever new, but FOMO fear of missing out. I so wanted to be at that LA birthday party celebrating OA. The photos and everything look so wonderful to me. But to get down to the business of today, my toxic foods were like the pull of the moon on the sea, magnetic, irresistible, and, and immensely powerful. The urge came from somewhere deep inside, some instinct that blotted out everything else. It's sort of like um, a fire-eating monster waiting to be let out. I picture it with a lion's head, a goat's body, and a serpent's tail. And when I make a sud, a sudden unimportant or unhealthy decision, that monster is often let out. Now, I've gone to all the pay and way, the psychologist, the um, liquid protein, I've gotten shots and pills that made me jittery, and I always lost the weight, but that monster always got out again because when it got out, it led me into thinking that I was over this compulsion. I was cured. I was wrong. I have a disease which is constantly telling me I don't have a disease, and it is so hard on me. It is so slow, it's strangling me with a noose. My disease uses all the information in my mind against me, and it gets back at me through my character defects. That's why it's so important for me that I identify them and pray and work towards getting rid of them because that phenomena of craving is always there. And because I suffer from diarrhea of the mouth, I'm going to close with this. A closed mouth gathers no foot. So I'm going to let go of a few of the seconds and relinquish it to someone else. Thank you, and I pass. Thank you, Barbara E. Anne Marie, you're next. Hi, good morning, Rebecca. Thanks for your service. This is Anne Marie and recovered in South Carolina. Um, what 
stood out to me was the um, much has been written pro and con, um, but among physicians, the general opinion seems seems to be that most chronic alcoholics are doomed. And that reminded me of the forward to the first edition, that um, very first sentence where it says, we of Alcoholics Anonymous are more than 100 men and women who have recovered from a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body. And that had given me so much hope, that one sentence and that one word, it just seems to be hopeless. And um, seems, in the doctor's opinion, seems to be that most chronic alcoholics are doomed. However, with the solution in the book and with God, um, we are not doomed, and I'm really, really grateful for that. The other thing that stood out to me um, was the... um, uh, where was it? Um, following the elimination of alcohol, <clears throat> excuse me, following the elimination of alcohol, and we've been talking about that um, for the last couple of pages, that it's so important for us to put down the food so that we can have a clear mind. And I really love that analogy of the heckler because I experienced that. When I, there were a few different times when I attempted to go through the steps while I was still compulsively overeating. And, you know, it was like the heckler. I couldn't, you know, my mind was, was foggy. I wasn't able to listen and hear and get the message that is in this book. So um, those are the two things that were, uh, you know, stood out in my mind. So I'll pass with that. Thanks again. Thank you, Anne-Marie M. Before Craig F. goes, I just want anyone who got on the line late to know where we're reading from, and that's at the bottom of XXX. This immediately precipitates for three paragraphs. Craig F. Thank you. This is Craig F. Recovered from Tulsa, Oklahoma, and I'm currently in sunny Arizona doing some visiting. Um, I, I want to... Um, First of all, say that uh, that this hopelessness that these doctors felt for alcoholisms, they they certainly feel it for uh, compulsive overeaters today. Certainly for people that are overweight, for for anorexics, they see very few of us that recover. And and that you know the the statistic on the general population that if you have a hundred pounds to lose. The four percent of the people who have a hundred percent or hundred pounds to lose will ever lose that weight and keep it off. And if you have two hundred pounds to lose, uh, the chances of taking it off and keeping it off are not measurable, not measurable statistically. And, and you know, and and I, I I can see it in doctors' eyes. You know, they they hand you a diet and they uh, hand you some blood pressure pills and whatever other. Uh, food, you know, weight-related element that there is and shrug their shoulders and don't know whether you'll make it to the next appointment or not. And, and you know, uh, because this disease on our own, we're hopeless. So the closing line from yesterday's reading was uh, all we have to recommend, uh, all we have to suggest is entire abstinence. And, and uh, you know, to, to an extent, um, that, 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 uh, Phrase has a has a double meaning. It's an, it's a little bit ambiguous. You know, all the doctor has to suggest to us is a diet. You know, which in a set, in, in essence is abstinence. They, 
Uh, you know, they, all the doctor has to suggest to us is don't overeat. But they, they really don't have, they really don't have the spiritual solution to suggest to us. And when we come to this description of, uh, of what I assume is Bill Debye here, uh, in, in the book, he comes to this, he's not just describing somebody that's physically recovered. It's not like saying a compulsive overeater came in and, and, and God, we were glad to see him. He, he lost 100 pounds. They're describing somebody, they're describing his, his uh, emotional condition from a trembling, uh, despairing, nervous wreck and emerged a man brimming over with self-reliance and contentment. That, that, that description doesn't come just from not drinking or just from, just from putting down the disease or putting down the food. It, that's not a description of a dry drunk. You know, that is a description of somebody that's had a spiritual experience that's, that works a spiritual plan of recovery. And, and so that, that second meaning to, that, to that, parag- that closing line from yesterday is that all we have to suggest is entire abstinence, but here is a program that suggests so much more. It starts with entire abstinence. It starts with putting down this, the, the food and, and not seeking the effect from the food. But that's just opening the door. That all that is is opening the door. The rest of it is this spiritual experience, this spiritual way of life, this, this uh, fellowship of people who are, who are walking a new path, then trudging the road of happy destiny together. They have, yeah, I got you. They have that to suggest. And and with that, I will pass. Thank you. Thanks, Craig S. Raz G. Good morning. Can you hear me? I'm sorry to say, can you hear me? But this is Raz G. Can you hear me? We do hear you, Raz G. You don't need to apologize. Good morning. Okay. All right. As I was listening to the shares, and I was focusing on the word acceptance the most, And I was thinking about the story in the back, Dr. Alcoholic Addict. And he said, "Um, until I could accept my alcoholism, I could not stay sober. Unless I accept life completely on life's terms, I cannot be happy. I need to concentrate not so much on what needs to be changed in the world as what needs to be changed in me and my attitudes. And it took me a long time, 15, nearly, nearly 15 years, 14 years, to accept this plan. I, I, I just tried it every diet, everything, you know. And I didn't want to accept it. I, wanted, I still wanted to eat what I could eat and, and let you tell me about the pain and suffering that you went through and I'm going to learn from you and I'm not going to do that, but I'm still going to eat this or that every once in a while. But the last time I did that, I got, uh, I, I could have damn near killed myself. So I was forced into accepting it. I wish that I could say I wasn't, but I'm not that, I'm not that strong. I'm completely powerless. And I accept my overeating, and I can be happy. 
And I can be happy when things happen in life that I don't like. Like yesterday, taking my car to the car wash and the guy that's washing my car, uh, breaking my, practically breaking my door off. That, you know, it's life. But was, is going to the food going to help me get over that? No. And a lot of people have been telling me recently, you are getting younger. You look great. Yes, does that stroke my ego? Yes. But the truth is, because I accepted this plan and because I treat my body with respect and put nutrients in it that are helpful to me, I am brimming over with glow, with joy, with happiness. And I have not returned to the food. So I'm so glad that if I accept life on life terms, I can truly be happy. Material things pass and and you get more and whatever. But I only have one body. I only have one spirit and soul. It's here on this earth for, for a limited amount of time. And I want to make the best of it. And I want to work this program like I'm on a roller coaster. I like the the hair on fire for me. It's I'm on that roller coaster, and when I go down, I grab that thing like, like my life depends upon it. Thank you. I pass. Thank you, Raz G. Harlan G. Thanks, Rebecca. I'm Harlan G. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater in Scottsdale, Arizona. The disease for me was a constant state of defeat and a constant state of war. I lived in a war zone of me pitted against me, as Larry alluded to in the opening reading. I would come to in the morning, and I could not sleep in a bed. I was sleeping in a chair because I could not lay flat and breathe, and my ankles were 17 times their normal size. And when I would stand up, there would be pus running from ulcers in the back of my legs where I have permanent discoloration. And standing up was extremely painful. I could not wear socks because they would dig into the swollen parts of my calves and cause me extreme pain. It's extremely cold in Chicago this morning. And as I peruse the newspaper in Chicago this morning, I find winter conditions to the max. Because I couldn't wear socks and because one of the most painful aspects of this disease, the dry skin, I would get fissures or cracks in the bottom of my feet. And when I would walk, it was like walking on glass. I would constantly pee in my pants because I was incontinent. I could not walk through anywhere where there were people and not be the object of ridicule. Children would laugh at me. Adults would laugh at me. On many occasions, I have had people come to my table when eating alone in a restaurant and they would take food off my table, give it to the busboy and say, he doesn't need this, he's too fat already. And I had to pretend that it didn't bother me. I have had extreme health compromises because of this disease. We're talking about Hank Parkhurst in this paragraph. Hank had 
uh, a gastric hemorrhage, which is a serious condition. Hank had many, many other esophageal and other liver-related issues in his life. The mathematical chance, as Craig alluded to, the mathematical chance that I would be able to walk today are slim and none, and yet I can do it. The mathematical chance that I can go to a doctor and he won't mention my weight and say, just keep doing what you're doing is reality for me today. I have hope in my heart. I am walking around in a body that is relatively okay. There is hope because the disease is horrible, but the recovery is wonderful. Keep working the steps. And with that, I will pass. Thank you. Thank you, Harlan G. Uh, Again, we read from the bottom of XXX. This immediately precipitates for three paragraphs. And we have time for five or six people to share. Naomi Thomas. Madam Naomi G from Boston. Leah M. Janice um, PM. Um, 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 wait one second. <laughs> Leah was the next one I heard. And okay, so here's who I have: Matt M, Naomi, Katie, Leah, and two more. Janice PM. Janice PM, and I think Melissa. Yeah. Okay, thank let's you. go with yeah. Let's go with the six of you. And I'm sorry for those who didn't get called on. Matt M, please go ahead. Thank you so much for your service. Good morning, everyone. This is Matt Evan Kamosoni from New Jersey. These two stories are very amazing to listen to and to hear uh, what they went through. Um, I almost pushed my body to the edge of its limits. Um, I was got to almost 700 pounds. I had lymphedema. My legs were swollen to the size of ham hocks. My lower legs I could barely walk. I could barely squeeze my stomach behind the wheel when I drove to the next, the next drive-thru, from drive-thru to drive-thru. I would spend my rent money on food, and then I have I would have a family member bail me out. I owe this family member almost $12,000 from all the times he bailed me out over the last six or seven years when I was in my trailer. The trailer I, I was living in was falling apart. I just didn't have the money to piece it together and get repairs done. I just didn't have the money. So, like, you know, I was living in squalor pretty much, and uh, yet... The food was the most important thing to me, without exception. It's amazing what we put our minds and bodies through for so long before we actually realize there is a a solution. And I didn't want to hear it at the time because I was was stuck. I was stuck, and I didn't want to move. I was like, I couldn't go left, I couldn't go right. So uh, I'm very grateful just for today. I have the willingness to work the steps and work the program. I'm abstinent. I call my sponsor every day. And I'm just grateful that I, I had the opportunity to recover one day at a time. And with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Matt. Um, if you're not Naomi B., check and see if you're unmuted. There's some noise on the line. Please mute your phone by pressing star 1. Naomi B. Hi, Rebecca. Good morning and welcome. Oh, my gosh. Good morning. Good morning, family. This is Naomi B., a grateful recovered compulsive overeater outside Philadelphia. Oh, I love this. Following the elimination of alcohol, there was found to be no permanent brain injury. 
And then down here a couple sentences, it says, from a trembling, despairing, nervous wreck had emerged a man brimming over with self-reliance and contentment. Well, I don't know about the self-reliance and contentment, but oh my gosh, what a transformation. It's like, who is this person? I can't believe it. And oh, and of course, the most important thing here, he accepted the plan outlined in this book. That in itself was what I had to do. Because I did not know what was going on, and I had the bariatric surgery. It doesn't matter. They can slice and dice her and take your stomach out. If your brain is telling you, you know what, those Doritos and hoagies sound good, that's where you're going to go, because that's where I went. Thank God they didn't take my stomach out. But my brain was, was insane, absolutely insane. And I didn't, I mean, I would be sitting here, you know, like this says in, in, in the book about there's I'm a cloud, not a cloud in the sky and the sun shining. Well, I'd be sitting here after having a huge dinner. I never deprived myself of food. And then all of a sudden the thought, the thought would enter my mind, what was down the refrigerator. And I would go. And it was crazy. I mean, I'm 71 years young. It's just a number. It doesn't apply to me because I'm doing stuff now I couldn't do in my 40s and 50s. And it's just because of this program and putting the food down. I'm working with a new sponsee, and I said to her, it's just for today. Just for today. You're not going to die if you put those ding-dong things down because this works. This is where the answer is in this book. And I had an opportunity of talking to this very learned person. I had an opportunity of talking to someone very learned in program. And I said, how I never had a problem with ego. Mine was the opposite of feeling less than. And this beautiful learned person said to me, that's another form of ego because I'm thinking of myself. And thank you, God, that's not the case today. I'm thinking of how can I be of service and how can I carry this message. Thank you for allowing me to share, and I pass. Thanks, Naomi B. Um, Katie G. Good morning, Rebecca. Good morning, my fellow. Thank you for your service. Great to hear everyone recovered in Boston. Yeah, I mean, I was being treated for chronic food addiction, and I had one of the best eating disorder psychologists in Boston tell me that she did not think that I could survive without clonopin, buspar, meridia, Seroquel, trazodone, which um, is uh, antipsychotic. And drugs are an outside issue, but what I'm saying is that her treatment for me was drugs. And... Um, and today I live, you know, um, how wrong she had been, and, and that's okay. Thank you, God, for these 12 steps. And I just love this reminder. He had lost everything in worth, worthwhile in life and was living, one might say, to drink or for me to eat, starve, binge, be the, be the thinnest girl in the room. And so things don't change my disease. Like no human power, KDG, no human power, no um, job or no job, wife or no wife, house or no house. We simply do not stay abstinent if we place our dependency on people, on circumstances. Like I moved to Someday Isle. Hey, you know, when I get that guy, I'll stop eating. You know, when I, when I get this, I'll stop, I'll stop doing this crazy behavior. 
you know, and, and, and that's the lie because no human power, like stuff isn't going to fix this internal problem. And I love everybody's, you know, talked about, I accept the plan outlined in the book. I don't fight the plan outlined in the book. I don't fight the sponsor. You know, I tell the women I work with, I don't fight my own disease. I'm not going to fight yours. Like, this is the plan. This is what I've been taught. You want to do it, great. If if you don't, great. Let's be friends at that. Um, and, you know, I was thinking of the woman that walked into these 12-step rooms, and I was trembling. I was despairing. I was nervous. I was a mess. I was underweight. I had no skills. I didn't even know how to how to have small talk. I didn't know how to enter a room of OA and be like, hey, how are you? I'm Katie. Like, no idea. Didn't know what my favorite color was. Didn't know, didn't know my name yet. Wanted a guy, right? Like, wanted the marriage, all that stuff. And thank God, like, I continued to accept the plan that was outlined in the book. And today, you know, I, I can appear as brimming over with self-reliance and contentment, but I really like to think of it as God-reliant, right? Because I, as I've been discussing with a, a woman I'm working with, it's not, I don't rely on me today. Or I, I rely on me to know that I can't do it. I can't, I can't manage my own life. And, and the life that God has given me to live, I've been given the opportunity to live multiple lives in one lifetime. Who is this woman? I don't eat, I don't starve, I don't binge, I don't purge. And guess what? I wake up in the morning and I want to live holy smokes. Thank you, God. Thank you, Overeaters Anonymous, and thank you, all of you. Let's do it another 24. Thanks. Thanks, Katie G. Leah M. Thank you very much for your service. He frankly admitted and believed that for him there was no hope. This disease grabbed hold of me at a very young age. It wrapped wrapped its talons around my neck and continued to get increasingly tighter over the course of two decades. I had no hope that things would ever be different for someone like me. I was self-destructing by my own hand under the guise of seeking ease and comfort. I was the creator of my own pain. I couldn't blame anyone. No one was doing this to me. The brownies weren't catapulting off the counter and down my gullet. You know, when I sat across from someone in whom the problem had been solved and he cracked open this text and he said, you don't have to live this way. You don't have to continue to live this way. I left that conversation with something I came in without, and that was hope. But he made it very clear that if I remained the same person, I was going to eat again. That more than my compulsive overeating had to be arrested, my own philosophy, my ideas of life, my beliefs, my attitudes, which had been very well ingrained in my brain even at such a young age, had to be confronted and overhauled. That the same consciousness that created this problem of mine cannot be the same consciousness that was going to solve the problem. That the greatest obstacle was my thinking. And that was clear because no one was doing this to me. I was suffering from a disease that only a spiritual awakening was going to conquer. And I couldn't solve a spiritual problem with a physical solution. That's why abstinence only was not my solution. Because treating compulsive overeating with a diet is like putting a Band-Aid on a gunshot wound. The treatment was not adequate for my condition. The monkey might have been off my back temporarily, but the circus was still in town. It became clear as we walked through these steps that if God could direct my thinking, then my thinking might become better 
And if my thinking became better, then my actions were going to become better. And if my actions were going to become better, then my life was going to become better because I would be guided with a spiritual mind, a spirit-guided mind. The 12-step process brought about that transforming experience for me. It wasn't about gaining knowledge, learning the text. It was about experiencing these changes, being led out of the darkness by someone who, who the problem had been solved into the light, into the light. Not something I did, but I had to cooperate with God's grace. A mix of God's grace and his loving mercy led me out of that darkness into a new way of life. And with that, I pass. Thanks. Thanks, Leah M. Janice P.M. Well, good morning to you, Rebecca F. This is Janice P.M., and I'm a grateful recovered compulsive overeater. Love these paragraphs. First about the doctors. These poor doctors that I went to, these poor groups and, and, and diet clubs that I went to, uh, naturally, naturally they see no hope for us. Because why? Because when I went in there, I lied. I was dishonest. That's why they have a very, very poor image of alcoholics and compulsive overeaters. I never gave the doctors a fair break. I would sit there and look them in the eye and say, you know what, doctor? I don't know because I don't eat that much. Well, I can't blame myself in a while and, and, and my dishonesty, but you see, I didn't know my problem. And doctors don't know my problem. A lot of them don't know the problem. How can they give me a solution? How can they give me an answer? They tried. They tried. But I wasn't willing to be honest. That was the problem with the poor doctors. No wonder. No wonder many in the medical profession has a, have a low opinion of us. Because if you don't know the problem, which I didn't know, First of all, the problem was dishonesty. The, the problem was powerlessness. Then I can't get the solution because I was always exerting my power to get the solution. So all through this chapter, we know the problem. We know the problem. Now they're giving us the solution. Oh, it's just so wonderful, these two. So what is the solution? What is the answer? Again, it's repeated in a, in a different way that it has to be abstinence first. It says following, which means after, following the elimination of our binge foods, of alcohol, there was found to be no permanent brain damage. He accepted, he was convinced, he conceded that, yep, this is the problem. So he accepts, he doesn't probably like it, but he did some action. And there's only one plan in this book, and that's the plan of recovery, which is simply the 12 steps. In order for me to change and get the solution, the results, I was always looking for results somewhere, doctors, groups, books. In order for me to get the results that I have today is the 12 steps. Because that addresses my spiritual malady. Abstinence re uh, addresses the physical. And the steps address my mind. 
And then the best thing is there is for a long time, there is no return to compulsive overeating. What a miracle. Something that I've been looking Fine. forward to all my life. And thank you so much for your service, Rebecca, and I pass. Thank you, Janice PM. Melissa C. Hi, good morning, Rebecca. Thank you so much for your service this morning. It's Melissa C., a recovered compulsive overeater in New York. And, you know, so like this seething cauldron of debate, um, there's only like two types, I think, that are debating whether or not you have to put the food down. And one of those are people who don't have this, you know, people who, who don't suffer with this disease, like the wonderful doctors that tried to talk to me about moderation or diet centers that tried to teach me their plan. Um, they didn't have this. So they thought, you know, moderation and more self-control. And the other types that are debating whether or not you have to be entirely abstinent are people who are not abstinent. You know, I, I truly don't know anybody that's in a recovered state um, who told me, go ahead, keep eating, keep eating your alcohol with foods, and, and you'll get better. You know, that, that was not my experience. Anybody that had what I wanted, they didn't withhold the truth from me. They said, Melissa, you got to put the food down. And I wanted to hear anything but that, you know. Um, but when beaten into, you know, <laughs> reasonableness, um, yeah, then I, then I let go of the food. And, you know, I love the, this, this transformation that they're talking about with this man because um, that's my own personal story. That is what happened to me. And, yeah, a physical transformation that um, I have been in situations where people don't recognize me and, um, and, and it's based because I don't look physically like I looked before. I was at, you know, a wedding not too long ago for a cousin, and he's got a friend that's been in his life for forever and, and their wife, and I've met them many, many, many times. I just hadn't seen them probably in the last 10 years. And the wife introduced herself to me, and, and I told her who I was, and she looked at me blankly, and she's like, no, I don't think we've ever met before. Um, you know, and it's not just physical. It's because I am different in the world. I know that I was once a trembling rat. I used to drive to work in the morning terrified, you know, filled with anxiety. Um, a diet is not what cured that. There has been a transformation. And what had to happen first was the food had to be put down so that these, you know, psycho psychological measures could be applied. Um, there is no debate about it. I had to let go of the food. Thank you. With that, I'll pass. Thank you, Melissa C. Uh, with one minute to go, I I'm just going to take the spot myself. It's Rebecca S. from Connecticut, compulsive overeater. And I'm looking at that line. He had lost everything worthwhile in life and was only living, one might say, to drink. And I think about that joke everybody says, oh, some people eat to live. I live to eat. And that was me. I lived to eat. And now I eat to live. And that's a big change. And with that, I'll pass. 
Um, thank you, everyone, for your participation in this meeting and for the opportunity to be of service. The share ID for this meeting, Tuesday, January 22nd, 2019, 7 a.m. Eastern Time, is 12.446. That's 12.446. Please join us for a second unrecorded hour of study immediately following closing. We will now close with the reading from the Big Book on page 164, followed by the Serenity Prayer. Will Sally P. please read A Vision for You? Our book is meant to be suggestive only to the end of the page. Thank you. This is Sally P. from Colorado, recovered compulsive eater. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to up to you and to us Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who's still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is a great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.